I've got 30 seconds to like show my last 10 years of work. I wonder what you mean when you use the word I. Use the word I. Take a break. We have an aversion to ourselves and to what's happening inside us. Settles. Today's guest is a girl called Maddie Himbury. Um, some of you may know that name because she's actually in the Australian national team for mogul skiing uh, and represented Australia in the 2018 Winter Olympics. Um, she is an amazing human and I think this chat that I, I had with her that you're about to listen to um, really articulates a different perspective on that outside inside life tension um, for people who look like they have it all um, and also the rare glimpse that we so often don't get to the, the inner lives of high performance athletes and you know, a lifestyle that other people like musicians and politicians share that you don't really get to appreciate how how strenuous and tolling and taxing on mental health it can be. But um, the biggest takeaway I had from, from Maddie's chat is uh, the concept of identity and like who are we and, and we kind of hold on so tightly to the things that we think define us, that we're good at, that we want to make meaning from life so badly that we kind of attach ourselves to the things that are socially acceptable or that we want to be viewed as versus letting go of that a bit and just loving us and allow, and, and allowing other people to love us just for who we are. Literally, Maddie the, Maddie the person, as I say in the interview, not, not Maddie the skier, and Mitch is the person, not Mitch is the heart of my sleeve founder, a Microsoft employee, um, or any other factor other than us. And that's a really hard thing to do. And it's a journey that I'm still on. And I think a lot of, of you listening are probably on at the moment, but really feeling like we're worthy just for being human. Um, that's our challenge. And I challenge you to, to kind of ponder that and think about that this week as to how we can just be content and proud of who we are, regardless of accolades. So... Um, in this episode, minor trigger warnings around kind of anxiety, a little, we talk about panic disorder a little bit. Um, and uh, if you have had an experience of um, kind of feeling like you've climbed the mountain and then fall down, um, this might be triggering. But I think all in all, this will be largely a healing exercise for everyone. So without further ado, welcome, Maddie. How is it like as a as a skier as well? Because I have really bad ears, okay. And um, I find that whenever I ski, my ears get really cold and my balance gets thrown off. Do you ever get that? <laughs> do you not wear any like headwear, like a beanie? I yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. I just doesn't do the job. I guess my ears need to toughen up. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. Um, it's interesting because my family's been. A, big into skiing as well as I'm sure yours is yeah, my dad yeah. was a um a ski instructor when I was growing oh. up professionally and so we would go down to Perisher we still have a 
part members of a lodge there and we would stay and ski and I transferred to snowboarding Ooh. when I was like 16 <laughs> and he hated that. Um, where have So you've been loyal to skiing since day one? Uh, yeah, I did try and snowboard, but that was because I was um, trying to make a team for my friend. There's that school competition um, and she had no teammates. So I tried to learn in Japan, but um, so I was skiing during the day, snowboarding at night by myself, trying to learn and um I got my parents to come out. I was like, hey, guys, I can I can turn on both sides. And I <laughs> fell and I broke my arm. So that oh, was my, <laughs> my snowboarding career. Oh, over. no. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, a quick rise to the top and a quick fall with a broken bone to show for it. Yeah. No, All right. So snowboarding's the devil. Mm-hmm. We hate that. Never bring that up again. <laughs> um, Japan, though, that's cool. So I guess you get to travel a lot with work. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm working, I guess, but I don't get paid. But yeah, we spend a lot of time in North America, Canada, and then we get a few competitions through Asia. So Japan, Korea, and we also got to go to uh, Europe a few times. So that's cool. Where's like ultimate question? Where's your favorite ski spot in the world? Uh, well, my favorite camp, I mean, because we don't really like get to ski too much. Um, but Whistler is my favorite camp because it's spring. Um, there's no pressure competition. It's like practically summer. We can go bike riding. We can go to the lake. Um, so good vibes, good times there. But for snow, Japan would probably be hands down best snow I've ever got. Niseko? Uh, yeah, I went to Niseko. Yeah. And so when you say camp, is camp like just all-round conditioning and training, not necessarily skiing? Uh, yeah, but uh, – yeah, camp would usually be like somewhere where I go overseas. So we usually chase the snow. So often or not, we'd definitely be skiing when we're on the camp. Okay, so so there is there is some type of skiing involved when you're when you're doing these camps, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We usually do um, like a four hour block on snow. Um, depending what the camp is focused on, sometimes it will be just turns. Sometimes it'll be just jumps, and then. Um, in the afternoon, we'll go to the gym or we'll do whatever extracurricular fun activity we got in store. Wow. Okay. And so, so as a as an athlete, which is such an interesting like career and like just life, I think in general, and I, I want to know all about it. But um, often it comes from a childhood love. Is this something you've done since you were young? Yeah, my parents uh, took me down to the snow from when I was three, so I was very lucky there. Um, but I was originally super passionate about gymnastics and I wanted to go to the, the Summer Olympics for gymnastics. Um, but then I broke my arm snowboarding and um, decided <laughs> that I would switch over. And I met a few um, younger athletes at the time and thought they were super cool and I made the switch when I was 14. So it was like, okay, Winter Olympics it is. <laughs> And you did it. Yeah, I you did. You did it in 2018. Mm-hmm. You represented Australia at the Olympics. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, what is that like? Talk <laughs> me through like when you're getting up to race and you're like, holy shit, this is the Olympics. Like what goes through your head? Um, it was like one of the most nerve-wracking experiences. I feel like I was like a deer in the headlights there. Like there was just so much going on, so many people there to like support and help you. Um but, like, you're like, crap, I've got 30 seconds to, like, show my last 10 years of work. Like, mm. don't fuck it. <laughs> Sorry, Melissa. No, you're allowed to swear. <laughs> totally allowed to swear. I think our listeners are used to it for me by now. Um, uh, wow, that, it's such a cool statement you just said. 10, 30 seconds to show the work of the last 10 years. Yeah. That's huge. 
yeah, um, my first run, I don't think I've ever been as nervous as I had in the gate then for any other race. Um, and in Korea, I like no other competitions have that sound, but in Korea, for some reason, the sound traveled up the hill. And so standing in the start gate, I could hear like, like people's exact voices, like, like my parents, my family, like down there screaming, go Maddie. Like, and that was just like crazy. Like usually you're just in your own zone and it was so hard for that not to like overtake you. Like those people are here for me. I better do something. (laughs) Mm, Wow. That is, um, so, so, so three, two, one, and then I guess your mind goes blank and you kick into autopilot. Is that true? Yeah, pretty much. Um, the biggest thing with us is that, you know, we've trained how many ever runs we, we've got it on the back of our hand. It's, it's being able to let go in that moment and let your body do what you've trained to do. And that's when it will just, it will just like flow and it will happen and it will be awesome. It's when you try and overthink it, you know, analyze each turn as you're going, each jump, my body should be in this position. That's when things go to crap. Like you can't, you just got to let it, let it be. It's interesting the term flow. I, I hear a lot of like high performance coaches talk a lot about flow and there's very little cognitive things happening. There's very little brain activity. You're kind of like all body, all heart, all universe, not to get too hippie, but it's sort of, you just become part of the mountain really, right? Yeah. um, It's a weird feeling. Like, and your coaches are like, so what did you think of that? And I'm like, I don't know. What did you think? (laughs) You tell me. I have no idea. I blacked out. (laughs) And so, uh, so as a, as a skier in the Olympics, how did that heat go? How did your run go? Uh, my first one wasn't too bad. Like, I mean, I was just excited to get to the bottom. Um, my training in the lead up was pretty average. So I was happy with what I did. And then we get a, um, second round go and, um, I qualified in 20th, which was finals and it was top 20. So I had nothing to lose, which was, you know, a nice feeling to have. So I was just like, all right, time to go get it. Um, but I drifted my backflip, so I went a little sideways, so it didn't go as planned. But I was like, I was much happier with that performance in the fact that I like let it rip, let it run a little, and like went for it. In if I had just held back and tried to do this conservative run, it one wouldn't have paid off, but I wouldn't have been happy with it. So, you know, overall pretty happy. So you left it all out there. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> Good. Well, I mean, the fact that you drifted on your backflip, uh, I think sums up how awesome you are, how awesome that is. Uh, I mean, I would love the opportunity to drift on a backflip. <laughs> Get, getting to getting my body uh, inverted in midair with skis on, I think, uh, uh, terrifies the shit out of me. And so hats off for even doing that. Um, that is uh, ultimately cool. And um when when you say the lead up to the training was wasn't great what do you mean by that um so the qualification is like a year-long period um and the year before I had awesome results I was going really well um and so they carried through for me but in the like immediate months before so like the two months leading into the olympics is kind of when all my um like stress tolerance all really lowered and i began to get um these symptoms of anxiety and panic attacks all around skiing um and i guess i i put myself in the you know the worst possible scenario for this like goal and this dream to happen so 
Um, like I said, when you're overthinking things and you're really rigid and controlled, mm-hmm. that's what I had turned to. Um, I didn't I didn't know what I was doing out there. I was trying so hard to fix things um, and it just wasn't working. It was only getting worse and worse. And I think that was just a product of my mind. It had nothing to do with my actual physical capabilities. Um, it was purely just my mind stopping me. And so the thing you loved turned into be the thing that was causing you distress. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean... How's that? When, like, I guess I put a lot of value in myself as a skier made me as a person. So when I started to be unsuccessful at this thing that I thought was was the whole of me, like, my life came kind of crumbling down in that, like... If I was no good at that, I was no good as a person. And so I guess I started to believe that, you know, um, I was not worth much to anyone. You know, I lost all this self-confidence. And, you know, those thoughts and feelings from, you know, one competition just came, started to overwhelm me till it was just that was me, was that I was not good enough. and so, yeah, it was pretty unenjoyable season. So um, it was something that was meant to be, you know, this ultimate, like, amazing experience at the end there that I dreamed about for years was was not even close to it. Um, so I, I really didn't enjoy the Olympics and I thought I didn't deserve to be there. Um, I remember when I qualified, it was that last event and, um, you know, I'd kept my qualification spot. There's four girls, you know, racing for this one, you know, one big event every four years. And I started crying saying that I didn't deserve to go because I truly believed that other people deserved to go more than me and that, um, I was unsuccessful, not worthy of this spot, um, and, you know, I started to believe all these thoughts in my head, which, you know, if you look at it rationally, I definitely deserve to be there. But that was just the way my mind was going. But I wasn't willing to turn that opportunity down. Um, but when I did finish my event and I finally, like, let my body relax, um, I got a flu that was just crazy I couldn't walk I had to crawl to the bathroom because I would faint because I was so sick um all these mental stress had like manifested in my physical so I'd lost I think like eight kilos going into the games um I get all these stomach issues where I can't even keep meals down like they just go straight through me um so I was super skinny not strong at all Um, sick and unwell and I was meant to be competing at the one you know huge competition of your life and I was not ready for it and I didn't really enjoy it and when I finally let my body and my mind relax I went in I just it was like a it wasn't a panic attack but it was just like anxiety depression I couldn't get out of bed for three days I was just in tears I 
I was meant to be there to enjoy the rest of the experience with my friends, with my teammates. And I just was Skyping my parents in tears, telling them, like, send me home. Like, I need to come home. Like, I can't be a part of this. Like, you know, I hate this this thing that I once loved. So I guess that's um, admitting that to yourself as well is, like, super, I mean, debilitating. I don't know. You just, like, don't want to let yourself think that you know, you could hate something that you love so much. Such a refreshing perspective on something that I think everyone builds people and journeys like yours into this almost fictional character fairy tale thing where we look at athletes and musicians as like rock stars and we envy this life of like imagine if almost like they're not real you know you dehumanize people who who stand on these pedestals and you just the only narrative that goes through your mind is they have everything Um, imagine what it's like for a nation to be cheering your name no one recognises the toll. Well, not no one. That's not fair. A lot of people don't recognise the toll, um, the sacrifice and the curse of that gift um, that it can have on people's lives at times, which you've just described so eloquently. The um, the part I found most interesting was like Maddie equals skiing. And if skiing's rocked, the whole algebra equation dissolves. And it, it it becomes completely unsettled and out of out of whack. And um, I think that would be true for a lot of people. Like a lot of people have a skiing part of the equation, which is if not X, then what is Y? Y being me. Mm-hmm. You know, if 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 X is in threat, what happens to Y? And um, and particularly your reflection on self worth. You know, like the the quality of your skiing life reflected a lot of the quality of your internal world. And that's a risky position to be in when you let the climate, literally the outdoor <laughs> climate, dictate your internal climate. You, you, you are and were subject to the weather. And, um, yeah, I can understand and totally appreciate how unsettling that that can be to feel like you want to take more power over who you are and the world sees you to be and appreciate the Maddie that sits beyond skiing. Yeah, I mean, it's been a tough road back um, to finding myself, I guess. Um, It took like a few larger um, breakdowns. So, um, I mean, the biggest thing with the Olympics is that I thought you know, it was a horrible experience. Um, but I knew how many people really wanted to be there. And so I was really embarrassed to admit that I didn't enjoy that experience. Um, and, you know, I kind of felt guilty um, for feeling that way. So I don't think I let myself um, be, you know, upset around that time and tried to keep pushing through um, as I guess in that environment as an athlete where you're told to push through the pain no matter what the pain is so if it's physical or mental um, 
And so I was under the impression that, you know, if I just keep pushing, I'll be able to get to the other side. And I have this like narrow, you know, corridor that I'm looking down and that's only skiing and that's that's all that matters. And I couldn't see anything outside of that, um, including like myself. Um, and even still today, I sometimes think that I made up like uh, this mental illness as an excuse for my like lack of success um, and that I can't seem to separate that and I still want to blame and you know push that aside and feel guilty and you know not so good about yourself because you think it's you know something you've made up and which is very easy to do you go with these crazy stories in your head yeah guilt <laughs> guilt is such a strange thing to feel and and I definitely can can feel your reflection of that and and how much it makes you question everything and um, guilt has also been a big part of my story. And it's interesting you say stories because I believe that mental ill health is an infection of narratives. It is just a collection of stories that we tell ourselves that are distorted, inaccurate, too heavy and all. And, and ultimately making peace with our story and seeing ourselves as a lead character in it and understanding all viewpoints in it and ultimately making peace with it is what I've found to be the most helpful thing in my life. Um, letting go of stories that I didn't need to carry anymore. And it's interesting to hear one of your narratives as being, um, I'm not worthy and I've made this shit up and it's an excuse and I'm actually, the word that comes to mind for me is you feel like you're an imposter almost to your own success and your own narrative. Is that a correct reflection? Yeah, I guess I guess so. Like it's... it's I remember having like a feeling where it felt like I was watching my body do things and interact with people. So I guess in that sense, it would be an imposter or someone else was, you know, controlling me um, in that I was just an observer in my life. Um, and that was just because I was trying to please and do things for other people rather than myself um and I was so worried about all this external you know pressure um wanting to be accepted you know um and it just it took a toll and then mm -hmm. I just tried to do everything for them and didn't work out <laughs> yeah yeah so there's almost like this conceptual imposter of like I don't deserve this, I'm not worthy. And then there's a physical imposter, which is the actual experience in your body of, of feeling a little bit disassociated. And um, you and me both, sister. <laughs> I mean, I've got podcasts and, and st the whole reason Heart on My Sleeve exists is because I've suffered from a life of feeling like I'm looking down on myself, watching me myself go through the motions and it's, in, and it's horrible. And, and often that is a symptom of... of um, of anxiety, overthinking, not wanting to feel this pain that we're expected to push through. And it's a really natural thing to want to escape it. Um, and I'm so glad to see how how you have, have not just forced yourself down the mountain, you've allowed yourself to actually stop and have a breather and have a look around and and actually 
go slow and be respectful of your own body and mind. And it's so refreshing to hear anyone, let alone an athlete, take a more integrated, heartfelt approach to maybe I can be worthy and maybe all these stories aren't necessarily true. Yeah, I mean, um, it started with like a change in the way you think and you you observe your brain. So I worked a lot on um, awareness of emotions. I mean, firstly, letting yourself be okay with that pain and accepting the fact that you're in pain. Um, but then being able to, you know, see that emotion and be able to, we use like labeling techniques. So is that true or not true? And then from then on, or you can label it with a simple like catastrophizing per se. I'm really good at that one. (laughs) Um, And so if you label it, then you're like, okay, Maddie, like that's, that's not necessary. And you can let that thought just slide by. Um, And so that's something that I'm definitely still working on, but I think that's one of the best things that my psychologist um, has got me to do in creating this awareness. Um, And, you know, originally it was just realising how hard I was on myself, but now being able to stop that in its tracks and, you know, redefine how your mind works and how you see yourself. Yeah, uh, I mean the the changing the the internal story and looking at all the stories playing out and being like, hmm, you know, maybe I ha- uh, maybe I get a say in this shit <laughs> um, is really important, and I'm glad that that you have found the ability and platform to do that safely. And I think as well, what I've taken from your story is such a physical component you know as an athlete your body is your instrument it is your tool of trade and your body was trying to tell you hey i'm not doing so well and and that's like a a double whammy for an athlete because it's like well a you should be doing well because i need you and b i need you to to form my identity and my career and all this stuff so that's a lot of pressure on your body and so to me it makes sense that it kind of whacked out like it did and was just like yo man I'm out I'm forcing you to just chill um but ultimately I want you to feel like this is a place this is what I felt like my body was trying to tell me my whole life I want you to feel like this is a place that you can come home I want you to feel like I can sit behind my eyes with confidence and feel like I'm in a place of refuge because for a long time behind my eyes felt like the place I permanently was trying to get away from in my body in my skin I hated being here the process of coming back home into my body as you say wasn't necessarily an easy one and that in itself has painful elements to it and I think pain doesn't necessarily, you know, looking at your amazing technique of catastrophizing, I would say another one would be thinking in black and white. And we th- it's not as simple as saying pain is good because it implies growth or pain is bad uh, because it hurts. I think like everything in the gray, um, pain is, can be a really good thing because it reflects a window of growth and there is nothing in the body that heals without 
pain there is nothing in the mind that heals without pain for the most part and we need to get rid of the infection and in order to let the bone heal and all that stuff that said pain with too much excess is when you've crossed the edge and the threshold where that tear in the muscle that could have grown the muscle now becomes an injury so um Part of coming home is painful, but ultimately it shouldn't be so painful that it feels like it's drawing you further away from that home. And as a skier and as an athlete, I hope that you feel like your body can be a place of safe refuge, a place of worthiness, a place of career, a place of hope, um, and a way to express your amazing creativity. Because as you say in your flow, I doubt there would be many things more spectacular to view than someone in flight down a mountain like you do. Yeah, I mean, when you get that feeling, it's pretty awesome. Um, but, yeah, like you said, it's that it's that balance between, um, you know, too much pain and not enough, and we're constantly putting our bodies on the line. Um, I can work hard like no other in the gym, um, I'm happy to do so. And I that was, you know, something that was drilled into me from a young age just to keep pushing. Mm. And the same happened with my um, mental illness in that it was brought up as an issue. Um, it was seen as something that was affecting my training. Um, but I, I wasn't, you know, able to get this support and a way through it while I was in that environment. Um, I really, I really struggled to address those issues and, you know, not feel like I had to keep pushing and pushing. Um, and I kept, you know, pushing these feelings down, down and down until I would just explode. Mm. Um, I could no longer hide this mm. pain and it would just come out like nothing else. And... <laughs> You know, it took a few of those to realise this environment is not working for me. Mm. And, you know, fortunately, taking a step back was, you know, one of the scariest decisions I've made because it was this possibility that skiing might not be me anymore. Um, I'm not that, you know, that aspect of me might be done. Like I might be, you know, Maddie, a student, like... Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so that was a really scary decision to make, but totally. Now looking back at the best one that I've ever made, um I would definitely do it again. Um and I don't regret anything about it. And when you say it, you're referring to the action of taking your foot off the accelerator, making a choice to not continue with the I'm pushing through narrative. And last year you had a bunch of time off to physically and mentally stop and and relook at things is that what you're referring to yeah um just you know putting myself first I had made this thing that I was I was not healthy and I needed to pick my own health over my sport and it was it had to be done and but it was I was the only person that could make that decision no one could tell me to do that um but I, I needed to pick my health. My body was saying it. My mind was trying to say it, but I just wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's normal. Because um, uh, listening's hard. Listening to your mind is hard because you're already feeling like shit. 
and listening to your mind often makes you feel even worse, even if it's a good thing, because you have to then tune into all of the shit that you uh, are thinking, which sucks because you're like, fuck, am I thinking that? And then you might have to accept some truths um, because often the mind is guarding us from truths that we don't want to accept. Like maybe it's not Maddie the skier anymore. It's Maddie the person, <laughs> the amazing person that doesn't need anything more. No more labels, no no career, nothing other than, hey, Maddie's just cool because she's Maddie. And that is a fucking tough pill to swallow. And no wonder the mind doesn't want to stop and slow down and, and actually sw- swallow that. And so listening is hard and it makes sense why people don't slow down and listen. But it is worthwhile to do so in a safe and and, um, and supported way. What what do you wish, what were you craving most when you were really in it? What did you want to do or someone to say or someone to do? or What were you wanting? Um, I guess more, I, like you say, support. And I had people around me. I had my family, had friends from home. Um, but I guess someone recognizing that you know things weren't going well earlier Mm. um and being able to give me that you know awareness and sight into myself um but also letting me off the hook um in that I felt like I was trapped in that space and no one was letting me you know experience that space to then get out like I was yeah I was trapped in that box and no one was there to kind of guide me through that um so I guess you know that understanding for mental health so that people can you know support people better um be there for when you know things are going downhill and um you know we're on the road we're in a tough situation you know my coach isn't you know my psych like he's got so many roles to play there's there's a lot of factors in this, but um, just that awareness and acceptance that, you know, we don't have to be tough all the time. Um, you can be successful and not enjoy it. And um, there's so many other factors that go into it, but, you know, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, so um, I heard a few things from that. The first is that, you recognize it's not someone else's problem. You own it, but you want someone to help walk with you while you own it. You're not trying to forego responsibility. Um, you're you're trying to say, hey, I need your support. I don't need you to take this away because I, I have the skills. And what I'm what I'm also hearing what that actually looks like would be first someone saying i care i genuinely care i think is is the the best thing that people underestimate the medicinal value of i care more than i'm going to fix this caring is like i I believe the best thing we can do as a supporter is show that we care the second thing i heard that would have been helpful for you was once that care and understanding is there on a on a human to human level, how can we physically help problem solve this together? Versus, Maddie, you need to go away, fix this, and come back. 
this is how we might be able to tactically get into the problem solving together. And the third thing is I need a little bit of room and space to get this wrong and get this right without there being such little tolerance of threshold and bandwidth for me to be so rigid because I seem to have no choice but rigidity. That's what I heard. They're they're the three things. So I care. um, I will play my part in problem solving and I'll give you the headspace and the tolerance you need to be a human being and flap around and, and get stuff right and wrong. Is that correct? Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good summary to me. Okay. So um, I think a lot of people when they're supporting, they feel really lost in terms of like, I don't know how to make it go away. But often the person going through it isn't asking them that. They're asking them to simply acknowledge. That's like 90% is to just to acknowledge, care and understand. That's it. The other 10% is, hey, can you walk with me? Can you hold my hand while I'm walking here? What you're not asking someone to do is, hey, can you pick me up and carry me to the finish line? Yeah, I remember um, I had made this, you know, decision to work on myself and, you know, you're already in this tough place where you feel lost and alone from yourself. You know, you're separated from your body, but then someone says, all right, you go over there and you deal with it over there. And that only made me feel more alone. Worse. Yeah. Disassociate even more. And I was yeah. like, oh, man, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's so hard over there with someone kind of holding my hand, but now I'm over further away and not even in reach of a hand. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just like you said, if if they care, you will feel their presence. You will mm. feel them next to you while you're going through that journey yourself. Couldn't have said it better myself. If they care, you'll feel their presence. And presence isn't something that in this science, science Western world we can measure and it's not like, you know, say X, then Y happens. We're talking about a lot, a lot of algebra today. That's an accident. Um, but... Uh, just knowing trusting the process that when you show up for someone with presence it might not look like much is happening but on the inside shit is happening for that person they're feeling loved they're feeling supported they're feeling attached there's so much value to that yeah i remember one of the ways that i described myself was weak and i thought that I couldn't handle so many scenarios or situations that I would just remove myself completely from them. Um, The only way I would go to things was I would text a friend saying, are you going to be there with me? And that's, you know, the presence, someone holding your hand when it's, you know, something that was as easy as turning up to a dinner. Like, you know, that's not a hard task. I can do that. But my mind was telling me, you're weak. You cannot do that. And, you know, that fear, fear of panic attacks, I'm sure lots of people have it. And even just that fear itself can make you just sit right back in your room. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. God. Uh, Yeah, I think there's a lot of people nodding their head as as they're listening to that, just wishing that more people knew what it was like to to, to, to experience that and I'm I'm very happy that that you are feeling healthy and stable at the moment I think that's testament to to 
interjecting into a narrative that said don't stop and you're actually stopping and 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 giving yourself some space <laughs> asking for support um where to like what is what does skiing look like now what is what does maddie look like outside of skiing um well maddie is like back to a bit like fun weird quirky maddie and we did some weird exercises like walking along a street and just dancing when people came past. Yes. Like, just doing goofy <laughs> stuff. like, who's that chick? It's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, some uh, person that is obviously living her best life and being a nuttero while she's doing it. Yeah, right? So, um, you know, I found myself, I'm a lot more fun. I'm, you know, feel more confident in myself and I'm trying to cross that back into my skiing world, um, trying to keep that fun you know, sing at the top of the course, dance around, have friends outside skiing, not wrap myself up in that is me. Like I, I need to be this person that is Maddie the skier. Um, but I am, I'm still, I'm still keen. I've got that drive. Um, so I'm back training again. Um, so we'll see how that space goes. But as long as I'm happy, um, I'm going to keep doing it. But um yeah, I'm hoping I've got this better awareness to make sure that I'm I'm on the right track with my head because I'm not willing to put myself and my body in that position again. And, um, uh, you know, that's the most important thing if, if I'm happy and if I'm healthy. You know what was cool is that I believed you when you said that. I believed you when you said I'm not willing to do that again because you will. You're going to go... St- down to the snow soon and you're going to get back into training and there's going to be times where you will be faced with a choice and I believe you when you say you'll choose health and I hope that when you if and when you forget that you turn this podcast on and you listen to yourself say it um, it'll help you have a north star to come home to and and believe Um, and in whatever way whether it be skiing or otherwise I and we will be cheering you on um, whether it be in an Olympics or at a uni degree or walking down the street being a weirdo, <laughs> we celebrate all of you. Um, and uh, I'm really happy and grateful that you've been able to share so much with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, any final words to people out there who might be going through what you've been through? Um, I think the one I was going to go with was it's okay to be scared. Um, if you're scared to feel these emotions, if you're scared to tell someone you're not okay, um, if you're scared to be weak, um, you know, it's okay to be scared. And, you know, if you find the right help and the right supportive environment, you know, you can make it to the other side and appreciate all of you just like me. Awesome. Um, and I think it's, I'd like to to echo and finish with uh, a statement from Matt Shervington, actually, who is a bit of a mate of mine and a supporter of Heart on My Sleeve. His mum was actually my kindergarten teacher. How weird is that? Um, and I heard Matt once say, particularly for athletes, they teach you how to climb Everest, but you're not prepared to come down. And... Uh, I'm pretty sure with Everest, most people do their injuries and or fatalities on the way down more than they do up when they're actually traversing the mountain. And so for many reasons, that's fitting for our conversation, mountains, snow, (laughs) athletes. Um, And so I think 
we need to get better at, at supporting people as a society, as a country, as a world who are in very high performance environments that those kind of 30 second snippets of 10, 10 years of work. I think that we we need to view the mountain as well as not just this apex and then down. It's a mountain that has multiple high points, multiple low points. It's it's more circular and rolling than it is just this, you know, steep ascent and descent. Um, and that we prepare people for an identity that has both sides of the mountain in awareness before and during the process to climbing it, you know, and it's, you're not Maddie the mountain climber, you're Maddie who happens to be climbing a mountain. And I hope many people who place their identity in, in that process can see that um, when you come down, you're going to need to know who you are as strongly as when you're going up it.